Money FM 89.3, the best of Saturday mornings. International News Review. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back. Our International News Review, Steve Oaken is with us. Steve, good morning. How you doing? Let me just say, if the listeners could see the hand signals the two of you use <laughs> to try and get through this show, they would see what a world-class Woo! production this Thank is. Thank you. It's a real Wizard of Oz moment, isn't it? <laughs> it's behind, the, behind the curtain, It's right? just an old man pressing buttons behind the curtain. <laughs> Wizard of Oz, it is Wait, not. Wait, who are you calling an old man? Both of minute. us. <laughs> Both of us. And, just, and we're here in, in, in the downstairs studio where actually people could come and watch. Of course, the front door is locked, so they couldn't come in anyway. <laughs> but if they did... It's a real pantomime, isn't it? It's a real would, show. It would be eye-opening, the can, level of talent in this room. They can stand across the street by the HDB and watch all they want. I you mean, can get okay. all the poly students from Neans, line them up and say, you see what they're doing? <laughs> Don't. Do the opposite. <laughs> Do the opposite. <laughs> we're we're a life lesson for many people on many levels. For ourselves <laughs> in many ways. <laughs> Lots to talk about today. Steve, where and how are Singaporeans being trafficked? We heard this story this week. It was a it's a big story. Staggering. Fascinating. Well, uh, uh, human trafficking, forced labor, slave labor has been an ongoing problem. Globally, it has particularly been a problem in Southeast Asia because of all the migrant workers and they are so susceptible to the evil people that are out there to take advantage of them. But what we've seen with COVID is that a lot of professional people who have been now lost their jobs, um, and certainly some of those in Singapore. So they are now being subject to scams where they're being promised jobs in Southeast Asia, uh, in Manila, in Thailand. And then when they get there, their passports are taken away. They're thrown into these scam centers um, where they are now preying on people in more developed countries through you know crypto scams, dating scams, and the like. And so this forced labor is now hitting, even hitting Singapore. It's always hit, you know, people in like Bangladesh and Cambodia. So explain, how is it hitting us here? Well, it's hitting because people are now need those jobs. A lot of people who lost their jobs, who were white collar workers, who were, you know, those those engineers and and who've, who've lost a lot of work, they are now going to travel for work as others have always done. But now it's coming to a different type of worker. So it's still a small amount of what the U.N. found 220,000 people have been trafficked into Myanmar and Cambodia to run these scam operations that are now much more proliferating in the world of people Mm. being so much more online. And so now it's some Singaporeans are being trafficked. And it's not just it's not just those in in the lesser developed countries in ASEAN. Well, that was the astonishing thing when you sent us the story. These stories, sadly, are not uncommon trafficking. But when it was Singaporeans, first world Singapore, but to your point, it's not the first time we've had a, you know, we've had recessions. I was here during the Asian currency crisis. Then 2008, we had the banking crisis. Sadly, white collar workers have always lost jobs. The difference now is 
they're being trafficked and held in compounds in the Philippines. That, to my knowledge, hasn't happened before. So what's changed? Is it the tentacles of big tech here? And, and let me just let me just add, you know, according to the story that's in the Straits Times, once inside these compounds, some of which are fenced with barbed wire, the victims' passports are confiscated. They're forced to work as scammers, with many defrauding their own countrymen, according to the Straits Times. Which so, hasn't uh, happened before, to our knowledge. Well, so what, what changes is what happened with COVID-19 when the pandemic hit, it put a lot more people online. And, and to spend even more time online because they've been stuck at home. Mm. That has stayed. There are now easier targets because there's more people online, more susceptible. So that means you need to hire, or I didn't say hire, you need to kidnap and traffic more people to take advantage of those people. And so when in June, you know, 3,000 suspected trafficking victims were rescued by the Philippine police, there were four Singaporeans who were part of that 3,000. And what happens is the victims are promised jobs at, you know, by a licensed gambling operator. And then what happens? They're forced into running love in, in, you know, in crypto scams. Wow. It's just shocking. It is shocking. Do, do we have any sense of, of what the Singapore government can do or is yeah. doing to try to get people home? You know, get them back or expose these or, or the UN, what they're doing to expose these things. There's a, a group I work with called BSR, used to stand for Business for Social Responsibility. So that is trying to find out how do you get the word out that these people are being trafficked. So one, how do you prevent it? Two, how do you prevent the employers um, who are um, from from being able to get to these people? If they've been trafficked, how do you protect them? And, you know, I was at this, this fascinating um, discussion that was held that had some of the some companies and some NGOs and, and some government. Um, and what you see is the problem is that there's there's a disconnect in the information, right? So the companies have certain information about what's going on on their websites and the like, but it's proprietary, so they don't share that. The governments have have proprietary information, but they're not sharing that. There's a lot of stuff out there online. People don't know about it. So if you could find a way to get all of this information into the hands of authorities, maybe you could stop it. So it's a real mm. problem, and, and hopefully people will start to address it. And maybe when it hits higher income people, then it's going to get more attention than it has in the past when it's typically been ignored. Yeah, we will hope that um, that the government can get a handle on it and that people themselves and their families maybe can bring the the uh, problem to light of their lo- loved ones who may be involved in this as well. All right, let's move on. Uh, the UN General Assembly was in session this past week. Uh, Volodymyr Zelensky came to town as one of many, many diplomats uh, in New York City for that event. And then he went to Washington to ask basically for more money for the war effort. Uh, the U.S. has already uh, committed $100 billion, with a B, dollars. And the Biden administration is going to be asking for another $24, 25000000000 billion, which is causing a lot of dollar fatigue within uh, the U.S. political process. Tell us about what's uh, what we know so far, Steve. Well, it, it's only causing political political fatigue in the House Republicans. And so that is the issue that, you know, President Zelensky has to face and President Biden and Republican and Democratic leaders need to overcome because without the U.S., then Ukraine is not going to be able to 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 fight back against the Russians. And so this is critical. It goes without saying that if, you know, if, if Volinsky said, if we don't get the U.S. aid, we will lose the war. 
And so if you contrast what happened this time when Zelensky came to the last time he came, the last time Zelensky came spoke in front of a joint session of Congress, multiple standing ovations. This time, the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, said, we just don't have the time to have Zelensky come and meet with the House Republicans, let alone address mm-hmm. a joint session. And that is because there's that, that Freedom Caucus wing of the Republican Party has said, we don't want to give foreign aid basically to anybody for anything. Um, and this is going to be prime example number one. And so so you've got six Republican senators, 22 House members sending a letter opposing Biden's request for $24 billion. Putting aside partisan politics for a moment, there is such a thing, as you know, as war fatigue, particularly overseas war fatigue. They even had it in World War Two. They certainly had it in Vietnam. They had it in Iraq and they had it with Af- Afghanistan. This is not even an American war. So at what point, Steve, as the domestic election draws closer to Biden, but he might start seeing a little bit of pushback from his own Democrats and from voters. How much longer can they sustain this level of investment when they've got their own issues to deal with at home? Because, Neil, this is where most people, certainly where where I would be, would disagree with you. This is America's issue. This is America's problem. America has got to stand up to countries like Russia if they are going to ignore the territorial integrity of, of their neighbors, because that is what the whole global system is based on. It's why Singapore, for the first time, took sanctions against the Russians. So this is an American issue. It is a world issue. And that is why President Biden said, we will support Ukraine for as long as it takes. It's why, you know, Senate, you know, Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, Republican, agrees completely with Senator Biden. And yes, there is that fatigue that comes. And that is why if this political process falls apart in the U.S., it is going to harm Ukraine. It's going to harm the world order. And let's see what happens if the U.S. can stay together. But but just to add to that, I, I don't disagree, by the way. I'm just playing devil's advocate. It's a war that realistically cannot be won by Ukraine. So at some point, are there going to have to be concessions made? In other words, how much longer can this stalemate go on? How much longer can the rest of the world keep paying, uh, investing in a war that Ukrainians simply cannot win? Well, that's a, the question is, what, what is a win? And if you allow Russia to have invaded a neighbor, to have committed war crimes with no consequences whatsoever, that is not a win. And so you have got to find a way to win. It's why the U.S. is giving more aid. It's why the U.S. is giving more weapons. And it will hopefully continue to do so. Uh, yeah, this is challenging. And I, I saw one poll that indicated that in the U.S., you know, some some Democratic leaning folks are getting weary of the constant spend as well. So I don't think I don't think it's just a Republican notion anymore. Uh, and, and look, you know, future future polls and future discussion will will either prove that or disprove that. But I th- I think, you know, as an American as well, you got to you know, I'm saying to myself, what is the end game here? Well, you say, but the, the Democratic leadership. House, Senate, White House are completely aligned. The Republican leadership in the Senate is aligned with them. It's the Republican leadership in the House that is not. And mm. if if those leaders fall apart and if that goes away, then it is going to be a serious problem. And that's why leaders need to lead and not say, oh, well, the Americans are war weary. We're not going to give the money anymore because we're just going to give in to public opinion. That's not what leaders should be doing. Mm. 
All right, we will follow that one, obviously, as well as the the U.S. debt crisis and the government potentially shutting down one week from today. So we'll follow that one. Uh, Next week, we'll talk about that one. Huge, huge news in the media world. Rupert Murdoch stepped down as chairman of Fox and News Corp., the 92-year-old retiring. The inter-family battle between Lachlan and James, a very much... Um, a pattern for the show uh, Succession on HBO. Uh, it is now come to its conclusion, I guess. He's going to step down in November, according to Mr. Uh, Murdoch. Not near the conclusion yet. we got a long way to go before this this concludes. This is not ending like Succession ended this year. No. Uh, look, he, I'm gonna, he's arguably... Murdoch, Rupert Murdoch, the most influential individual of the past 30 years globally. I don't know that no, anyone that. has changed that. the world more than he has. And they, look, there's no Donald Trump without Rupert Murdoch. There's no Brexit. There's no Brexit without Rupert Murdoch. Um, and you can go back even to 2007, where there was the in the U.S. we had a thing we called the Fox News effect. So he created Fox in in '96. Ten years later, when Fox would get into a particular cable system in the U.S., it pushed local voters to the right, mm-hmm. um, and it has continued to do that, and has continued to push the country in the direction that Murdoch wants it to go into. And so again, arguably, and because of that, if you can do that in the U.S., you can do it in the U.K. It's where you it's it's why he is so powerful. And I will argue not using that power for good. But that's a a different issue, too. I agree with Steve completely. I I worked for a Rupert Murdoch publication in Australia. It used to come down from the top. Climate change denial, climate skeptics are used in their columnists, both in uh, New York and in Sydney and Melbourne and London and so on. So the climate change argument, they've deliberately tried to push back a number, a number of right wing leaning governments in Australia, the US, Mm. UK required and needed and coveted uh, Murdoch support. I read one uh, analysis, Steve, um, about the the James versus Lachlan uh, dynamic, and Lachlan is the heir apparent now, the chosen successor to run it. Uh, James has stepped down, stepped away men, in in many ways because he has said this publicly. He disagrees with the editorial uh, slant, but in the wings there are two other Murdochs, Phoebe and Chloe, I believe, who are in their twenties, twenty and twenty two. No, they're, they're the older ones. They're, 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 anyway, so the, the issue is, right, that the, the difference between right, Lockin and James is, first, if you, you get, go back and read Rupert Murdoch's announcement when he announced his, that he was stepping back and he was going to be chair mm. emeritus, mm. he writes, elites have open contempt for those who are not members of their rarefied class and that most of the media is in cahoots with those elites peddling political narratives rather than pursuing the truth. Now, his response to that is, are you kidding me? Are you, with what you did with Trump on January 6th, where you knew, where Rupert Murdoch said he knew it was false, that it was a stolen election, but he peddled the political narrative that his listeners wanted and that his viewers wanted. So it's just outright lies, basically, what he is writing in his resignation note. And so you have Lockin, the son, who is going to 
be the heir apparent for now. The other son, James, said that when he was asked about the U.S. media after January 6th, he said, those outlets that propagate lies to their audience have unleashed insidious and uncontrollable forces that will be with us for years. So James and Lachlan don't talk anymore. Mm-hmm. And as you said, there's, there's four of the uh, adult children. Each of those four adult children get one vote after Rupert Murdoch dies. And so the question is, what happens... Well, for now, we know what happens. You, you know, Rupert anointed his son, Lockin, who is the most like him, the most conservative, the mm-hmm. most to use right. the media to drive yep. an opinion. James is opposed to that. You have the two older daughters who also have a vote. So what happens when Murdoch leaves the scene? Are we going to have... I was talking about the younger daughters, Grace and Chloe, right? So Grace is at... Uh, but they're very uh, young, right? Yeah. Yes. They're in their 20s, yeah. right? They're early 20s. They don't have a vote. It's the two not, older not daughters yeah. who have the vote right. with the two older sons. Right. So what happens with those four? Do the two older daughters go with Lockin or do they go with James? So are we going to end up, you know, with a Wamgan situation? Um, who knows where we're going to go? A what? Oh, it's, a, it's an Inside Succession reference. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got it. I got it. I got it. <laughs> I've, been, I've been watching the series, but that didn't naturally come to I me. Saw, right. I saw a great headline, guys. MN, uh, MSNBC headline was Rupert Murdoch is Dr. Frankenstein, and Donald Trump is his monster. What would you say to that, Steve? (laughs) He has lots of monsters. I just don't think there's the one. But yeah, no, you can draw the direct line from Rupert Murdoch to Donald Trump. And But what happened, of course, and now if we want to I'll, I'll defer to the English major, but then the monster took over from the creator, and the, the creator could no longer control the monster. I don't know if Neil, that's where you're going. I'm uh, trying to stay on your level. Um, no, no, a lot of analogies, analogies flying around the uh, studio here today. All right, we're we're going to keep an eye on this. He says he's got he's stepping down in November, Rupert Murdoch. But as we saw in Succession. Mm. The, there was a, deci- a decision to step down, but then he didn't. Yep. So yeah. we'll see. The patriarch didn't, so we'll see what happens here. But anyway, at 92, you've got to figure at some point he's going to step down one way or as, the other. As he says, his, his mom lived to 103. So she did indeed. <laughs> We've got that to look forward to, another 10 years. Okay. All right. On to our final story, the story that has got tongues wagging all around, and that is the story of this French bulldog that was on the uh, SIA flight as a comfort or support animal, and uh, a New Zealand couple uh, didn't didn't understand or realize that this dog was going to be uh, drooling and slobbering and making noxious smells uh, all through their flight. I believe it was from Paris. They have, they have won a full refund on their premium economy seats. Steve should Comfort animals be allowed on planes. What better headline than New Zealand couple demand fair refund after being seated next to snorting, farting dog? <laughs> yeah. There's no way, no way to talk about me like that. <laughs> you know, terrible. It, 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 so, it, like, I, I'm politically, I'm, I'm very liberal, right? And, and, no. Right? I'm very liberal. But if you, if you list my top personality traits, I'm not sure compassion would be one of those that you might You're not an empath? Is that what they... (laughs) Okay. And so the question is, should Singapore Airlines in the first place have allowed an, an emotional support animal onto a flight? There is a difference between an emotional support animal and a service animal. Mm. We would all agree, service animals who are trained, who are there for a very specific reason, yep. should be on a flight to help a, a, you know, a, a passenger with visually impaired, visually impaired or, yeah. or the like. An emotional support animal could be any animal that can give relief to anyone who says they need 
companionship to help them with their disabilities, whatever psychiatric ones they might have. So in theory, could SIA let on a parrot, a hamster, a gerbil? What's the line? There is no line. Literally any animal can be deemed by anyone to be an emotional support animal, and all you need is a letter from some quack doctor to say, yes, this person needs this emotional support. So now, what sorry, sorry. Point of clarification. As of April... SIA is not allowing support animals on its flights. This particular situation, which happened in June on a flight from Paris to Singapore, was as a result of a booking that was made prior to the April cutoff line. So just so everybody knows, SIA now does not allow comfort animals on carry-on, Steve. Okay, so here we have so this couple from New Zealand buys premium economy for their 13-hour flight from Paris to Singapore. They get on board. They find out that... This dog, which is snorting and farting and gooing all over the place, is sitting next to them. So they ask, can we move? And they say, you can only move into the back of economy, which is, we didn't pay for that. We paid for premium economy. And so they finally got them seats in the front section of economy, which is a much cheaper ticket. And then SIA refuses to pay for that, that to, to, to do a refund. They offer, I think, $100. a $100 voucher or something. And then they offer an, shop, yeah. another couple hundred dollars. Come on, Singapore Airlines. Why did you not just refund the full ticket right away? You did not give that customer what they bought, and you should have just refunded. Even when they finally gave the refund, they only gave the difference between premium economy and economy. Now, I think all three of us will say we love Singapore Airlines. We fly Singapore Airlines all the time. We have done so for decades this doesn't surprise me, but why didn't you just give them the money right well, away? Especially when it's such an obvious case of somebody being inconvenienced yeah. against, you know, outside of what they had control over. Right? Yeah. And Steve's point is a very good point. You didn't get what you paid for, yeah. which was a, a, a decent, peaceful non-stressful flight. These are the bare minimums as a consumer that you're paying for, Steve. They didn't get them. And what is, So when, when SEA gets called by the press, you know what their response is before they, 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 they reached a partial solution to this? The duration of the process is subject to the complexity of the issue. How complex is this issue? There is a farting dog taking up my seat. I want my money back. The response sounds like it was written by AI, doesn't it? Well, we've had responses already. Athanasios from Australia says, SQ should have considered a separate section or a set of seats specifically for passengers with their pet needs. What do you think, Steve? Or just don't let them on. I mean, (laughs) you know, you're an airline. Let other airlines fly them if they want. Make them put the the dog in, you know, in in the cargo cabin that's controlled and climate that, that people use. But if you are going to be offering this up, you better be telling the person next to you, oh, by the way, we hope you like animals because you're going to be with one for the next 13 hours. Which gets into the point we were discussing off air, phobias, religious considerations. All of these things have to be taken into account. Let us know what, what do you, you think. think. Yeah, WhatsApp yep. us eight eight five five zero eight nine three. Steve, we got to leave it there. We got bills to pay. 
Thank you for being with us. I'm going to be bringing my emotional support beer into this <laughs> in, in, into this studio next time because I need that to watch the two of you with well, all your hand Well, you have your emotional support T-shirts on that you usually wear. So anyway, Steve Ogan, thank you very much. On to the next thing. Have a great day. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.